in our reading this morning. I want to encourage you to turn there with me if you would and prepare to read the Word of God together. It's also on the front of your worship guide and will be on the screen as well. So Psalm 119, verse 81 is where we'll begin reading in just a moment. So if you found your place physically able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of the only book God ever wrote. Amen. The book that is the book of the ages, a book that we can live by. Thank God it's a book that's good enough to die by. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 81. Notice with me what the Word of God says. He says, My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, When will you comfort me? For I become like a wine skin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? And when will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on the earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Father, in Jesus' name, pray you'd help us today to be faithful, to verbalize the truth, God, that you have spoken to our heart this week. God, that I could articulate truth in a way that would help others love you more dearly, see you more clearly, and walk with you more nearly. God, may you honor the faithful proclamation of your word today. The psalmist said, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. It's in the strong name of Jesus I pray, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today I'm speaking to you on the subject, the struggle is real. You know, it's amazing to me how as we've taken this journey through Psalm 119, that how the word of God is speaking so clearly in every circumstance we could ever experience. We often hear the statement that I made in the title of the message, The Struggle is Real. We hear it a lot in our world today because the phrase is meant to speak something into our hearts and lives. It's meant to emphasize the fact that the struggles that we're encountering are not fairy tales. They're not imaginary difficulties. They are absolutely real. The struggles we have today are some like we've never experienced in our lifetime. Everyone has struggles, and some struggles we have in common, some things we share, but there are some struggles that you have and I have that are unique to our life situation and our life's calling. Many of our struggles uh, can cause us to live in a uh, just a spiral, if you will, or a swirling world of discouragement can even run the risk of causing us not to complete our course, not to finish well. I read this past week where each year millions of Americans make resolutions at the beginning of a new year. The month of January, we've heard much of that. Research tells us that of all the resolutions made at the beginning of each year, that over 92% of those resolutions fail. 
many within the first week, most within the first month. You know, even though 100% of people who made a resolution started the resolution path, only 8% finish and see it come through. I read something kind of funny this week from a man named John Acuff, who I do not know, but I read this in David Jeremiah's book, Forward. He quoted him, and he quotes from a book that Mr. Acuff wrote called Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. And here's what he says about finishing and not seeing things through to the completion. He said, I've only completed about 10% of the books that I own. He said, it took me three years to finish the first six days of the P90X home exercise program. He said, it took me until I was 23 years of age to get a blue belt in karate. And he said, I have 32 half-started moleskin notebooks in my office and 19 tubes of nearly finished chapstick in my bathroom. I know we all have that, and I've always said no matter how eloquent or eloquent you might be, all of us got a junk drawer somewhere. Amen? Stuff in it. I know some people say, no, I'm very organized. I have everything perfectly. No, you got some junk drawers somewhere. I guarantee you that we all do. And in that junk drawer, it probably tells the story of our life that many things we started, yet we haven't finished. See, finishing well involves overcoming struggles and it also involves having a clear focus during the most difficult of times. And throughout this psalm, the psalmist repeatedly records his sorrows and records his problems. And that's why I want to encourage you, if you don't, to take time to record your journey. Write things down in the journal. It will help you overcome some things. It will help you look back and see how God carried you when you couldn't carry yourself. And it'll also leave some words of encouragement and instruction for those who come behind you to be able to trust God. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's recording his sorrows and problems. Psalm 119 is often referred to as what we call one of the orphan psalms because we're not 100% clear on the identity of the writer. We know the, uh, the ultimate writer is God who inspired the scripture. Uh, the heavenly, I mean, excuse me, the human vehicle which was chosen, we're not 100% sure. Some say it could be David. Charles Spurgeon in his writings is pretty convinced it is, and, and it very well could be, but it could also be others. <clears throat> but the message of this stanza of Psalm 119 helps us realize that even in times of deep anguish, that we as God's people, those who are trusted, have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, must be true to the word of God. We must place our total and complete trust in the sovereign God of the universe because he's the only one that can see us through. With all of the pain, agony, and anguish we see in our world and even right here in our own community, within our own church, in our own church family, we realize that it is only God and his word that can be trusted to be true during these times. So as we walk through this text together, I want you to notice the struggle of the journey of the psalmist. I believe you'll find some parallels to maybe your own personal journey, and I believe we can all be helped and encouraged by what we learn today. The first thing I want you to notice as we get into verse 81 is the psalmist begins to talk about his constant calamity. Something bad's happening quite regular in his life. I shared with the church here before 
a foundational principle that I was taught by a wonderful seminary professor, Dr. Gene Tyre, years ago at New Orleans Seminary. He taught us this. He talked in his deep voice. He was only about four foot nothing, and uh, he didn't have any hair. And, uh, but man, he was a wellspring of wisdom, lots of years of ministry, and he, he loved us. He talked straight to us. He'd talk in that thunderous voice. He'd say, boys, he said, you never know that Jesus is all you need till he's all you got. When he's all you got, he's more than you'll ever need. I mean, what a foundational principle for the Christian life. And what a word to lean on during times of difficulty. See, one of the basic principles for life is simply this, for children of God, that we need to know. We are not strong enough, we are not wise enough, and we are not tough enough to make it on our own. We need the hand of God upon our lives, and acknowledgement of that truth is critical for many, many reasons. Often, the very things that God uses to bring this realization to us is when he allows us to experience some maybe extended periods of suffering, disappointment, despair, and intense pain. The psalmist details his journey as he goes through one of those type periods in his life. Notice how he explains himself. First of all, in verse 81, he gives us the picture of an exhausted saint. See, affliction has taken its toll on this man, and he is in dire need of a touch from the Lord. He's experienced great affliction, and this affliction was not for a short period, but maybe an extended period. And extended periods of affliction will lead us to deep physical and even spiritual fatigue. Now, it's one thing for your body to get tired, and I don't know about you, but I know for me, the older I've got, the more the sooner I get tired, right? You know, sometimes, you know, we get older and we're like, man, I can't last as long as I used to. I get tired sooner than I used to. And then my good friend, the great encourager, Mark Vass, will tell me, just wait. I mean, he, and I, I, he's telling me it's going to get worse. But anyhow, I take his word for it. I have to trust old men. But nevertheless, we do. We know what it's like in our, and we know what it's like to be tired. But it's another thing to go beyond physical exhaustion to spiritual exhaustion. See, our bodies can be rejuvenated with rest and our spirit can be rejuvenated by concentrating on the Word of God and communicating with God through prayer. We can find help for our bodies and our spirit through physical rest and through communicating with God, His Word, and prayer. But I'm most concerned about what happens when fatigue goes past physical exhaustion to spiritual exhaustion till we get to the point that we could experience what I refer to and many others as soul fatigue because it appears that that could be exactly what the psalmist was experiencing maybe you're experiencing some of that I know I have experienced some of that during the past 10-11 months here where it's almost like my soul was physically whipped out of gas and was experiencing major fatigue maybe you're experiencing some of that too because you're trying to figure out what to do you're trying to figure out how to do you're trying to figure out all of these things and you're trying to take all this information that's been given to you by the media and medical professionals and on and on and on and I understand that is very important to do 
but it can cause us to get to the point that our souls are tired. That's kind of where the psalmist was. See, he tells God that his soul faints for your salvation. You say, what is he talking about? Salvation like being redeemed from his sins? No, he's talking about a salvation of sorrow from his current situation. He's saying, I need you to do something. I am consumed by this sorrow. And this verse opens with a theme of suffering and longing for divine intervention. And oh, how we need that today. Why do we need divine intervention among the church and in this country and around the world today? Because the hour is urgent, the crisis is clear, and the need is great. But listen, the psalmist is not without hope, and I want to report to the church today, just as the psalmist is not without hope, neither are you without hope. We don't have to live in sorrows, those that have no hope. The psalmist even said in his hour of anguish, he said, but I hope in your word. See, when God seems to be absent, when heaven seems to be silent, when darkness seems to be all around us and stalks us everywhere we go, we can still trust the light of the promise of God. I really believe that, church. I really believe with all of the calamity and all the sorrow and all the pain that we have experienced and continue to experience in our world today that God himself is shining the light of the gospel through this darkness and he will show himself to be strong and mighty through it all. Danny Aiken said this, anything in life that drives us to the word of God, regardless of the package it comes in, is good for us. Did you hear me? Anything in life that drives us to the word of God is good, regardless of the package that it comes in. And here's my prayer for you, for your family, for this church and beyond, is that these periods of difficulty, these periods of discouragement, these periods of despair would drive us to the word of God, that we would get our information and our inspiration from the word of God to overcome what's ahead of us. Uh, he was an exhausted saint. But he went a little bit further. He wasn't just an exhausted saint. He also went on an extensive search. Look there in verse 82. Psalmist deals with the emotional side of his sorrow in verse 82. He struggles so long that he feels beaten down to the point that he can no longer physically see. He's severely agitated, and he's in need of God's comfort. And here's what he said. He said, my eyes fell from searching your word. This is somebody who is deeply intent on finding answers from what God's word says. His eyes are growing dim due to study. His eyes are strained as he looks for help that he's requested, and he is searching for God's presence. He is searching for God's promises through it all what Charles Spurgeon said about that he said blessed are the eyes that are strained in looking after God you know what he's saying it's a good thing if you're straining looking for the promise and the presence of God it's good he said the eyes of the Lord will see to it that such eyes do not actually fail how much better to watch for the Lord with aching eyes than to have them sparkling at the glitter of vanity so many people are looking at the glitter of vanity in this world today instead of straining their eyes to look full into the face of Jesus. Why? The hymn writer said that the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, but yet we continue to look for answers in all the wrong places instead of looking deeply into the word of God, trusting the promises of God that he would be there for us in our searching for truth. 
But then he talks about his excessive sorrow in verse 83. When you read this text, he says, uh, Lord, I feel like a wineskin in smoke. Well, when you read that, you're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Well, what he's doing is he is speaking in an illustration that the people who read it would readily understand what he's talking about. See, in Old Testament times, the people would take the skins of animals and they would use them as containers to hold water and wine. And when they were emptied, they would be hung up by the fire and dried so that they would be reusable. But after a period of time, the wine skin would become cracked and brittle. And ultimately, it would become useless. They also would have an unpleasant odor that made them no longer useful for the purpose. So what is the psalmist saying when he says, I'm like a wine skin in smoke? Here's what he's saying. He was using this illustration to describe how he felt about himself. I told him in the first service, and I want to tell you too, I've learned that it's very important how you talk to yourself. Have you ever talked to yourself and said bad things to yourself about yourself? Oh, I have. You know what happens, in you, no matter whether you're a preacher, or a deacon, a teacher, a policeman, a plumber, a politician, I don't know, let's don't leave anybody out here. I mean, no matter what you do or what your vocation is, what you do for a living or how you operate in this world, there's enough people out there to find something bad to say about you. And you don't need to join them. <laughs> Because here's what happens, and it happened to me as a younger pastor, and sometimes I still struggle. People will say bad things, and I will say the things to myself that people have said bad about me to myself, and next thing I am, I'm believing what they said, and I'm saying, and I'm agreeing with them. But here's what happens. In the midst of all of that, I read the Word of God. I did what the psalmist did. And I said, Lord, here's what the people think. Here's what they've got me believing. I want to look and see what you've got to say. And I read in Psalm 139 that he said, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Y'all like that? Now, it's Sunday. Y'all going to have to lighten up a little bit, okay? Y'all a little tight, okay? Roll tight. Let's just get it going, okay? Here's the deal. What I'm saying is, is he is saying to you, it doesn't matter what the world says about you. It doesn't matter what a backslidden church member says about you. It doesn't matter what the culture says. He's saying that I made you in my likeness and in my image. I have marred you in my hand. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I ordained you for a purpose. You were born to serve the Lord. Now go do it. That's what needs to happen, but it's so easy. We start saying to ourselves what the world says about us instead of what God says about us. Wow. He was saying this. He was saying that he felt like the flames and the heat of suffering had caused him to, to, to just be lifeless and ultimately useless. He felt like God was done with him, and he felt like he had no value for further service. Let me tell you how I can tell you today with 100% accuracy whether God's done with you or not. Just take your right hand and put it over your heart. And if you feel something go thumpity thumpity in there, 
even if it's a little irregular or whatever, if there's something beating in there called your heart, that means he's not done with you yet. Because when he's done with you, he is the sovereign God of all creation. When he's done with you, he can take you out of this world. He doesn't need anything in particular to do it. He holds your very heartbeat in his hand. That don't mean I'm going skydiving this afternoon. But I'll tell you this. No, there's no sense in jumping out of a perfectly good flying airplane. I don't even like flying in a perfectly good flying airplane. Yet. I'm not jumping out of one. No way, no sir, no how. But I'm telling you this, ladies and gentlemen, we all have purpose. He said this, he said, I do not forget your statutes because the only way to be cleansed from the contaminating power of the world is through the cleansing power of the word of God. I believe that with all of my heart. Not only did he talk about constant calamity, but he moved on to a cry for comfort. And he talks about two different things here, or three maybe. The first thing he talks about is direct interrogation. He starts asking some questions. And he asks two questions in verse 84 that are very important. The first question he said is, how many are the days of your servant? Here's what he asked. How much longer is this going to go on? Anybody asked that lately? Sure we have. How much longer? I, I was telling them in the first service, it's amazing. You, you see people in public and you're not sure if it's them because all you see is from here up. I told him I felt like I was living in the planet of the apes. I mean, I'm telling you, you can't tell. And you look and you see and you don't, and everybody's kind of, you know, I mean, Marty won't get within 14 feet of me right now. He comes in on Tuesday to talk about worship. He's like, hey, brother, how you doing over there? I mean, I understand that. I understand all those things. But we're living in a world that is trying to spread us all out because of the need to take and protect yourself. I understand that completely. But I'm telling you from the depths of my heart, we've all asked the question, how much longer? I just want to go to a full, Robbie, I want to go to a full 101,000 people in Bryant Denny Stadium. I want to see the elephant stomp. I want to be there for the walk of champions. I want to do all those things. But you know what? That's okay. We, but here's the thing. We're living in a world where that's not going to happen right away. The psalmist was in some of the same situation. He's saying, how much longer do I have to endure these afflictions? Here's what he's saying. My days are slipping away and my prayers remain unanswered. Then he asked this question. When will you execute judgment on those who persecute? You know what we know from the Word of God? The Word of God tells us that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Do y'all believe that? And I know there are times you want him to kind of hurry up and do some repaying, right? But it's on his time. Here's what the psalmist knew. He knew that taking the act of judgment into his own hands was never an option. It never is. So he appeals to the Lord and he anticipates intervention on his behalf. He said, Lord, I know you're going to show up for me. I just don't know when. Can I tell you, I know the Lord's going to show up for us. I just don't know when. And can I tell you that he is showing up for us even in the midst of great difficulty? Then he talks about decisive protection in verse 85. He said this, he said, Lord, the proud have dug pits for me. Now walk with me through this for a minute. He's talking about arrogant men who have no regard for the word of God and what they have done is sought to track down every person who lives for and walks with God. You say, well, that's, that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah, it does. 
Not only is Satan a roaring lion, roaring to and fro, seeking whom he may devour, but Satan has a lot of agents. Amen. He's got a lot of agents under his control and command. He's got a lot of people doing his sinister work. And here's what the psalmist said. He said, those people who are working with the enemy, they've dug pits for me. Not one pit, but multiple pits. And we must remember that our enemy and those under his wicked command will spare no cost and will come for us and at us from every angle as they relentlessly seek to destroy our testimony and influence. Because here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. The good news is, is if you've ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, repented of your sins and trusted him as Lord and asked him to save you, he did exactly as you asked because that's what he said he'd do. And when he saves you, the good news is you will always be saved. Now, I know people don't believe that. You might have some friends or family members. I do too. I've got some wonderful friends who do not believe in the doctrine of eternal security, and I feel so sorry for them. Because here's what happens. If you do not believe in the doctrine of eternal security that once God saves you, he keeps you saved eternally, then here's what you're saying. Every day, I must be perfect in every moment and every decision because the moment that I'm not perfect and I do something wrong or think something wrong, then I'm lost again and i got to start it all over again. And if something happens to me before I repent and get it right again, then I'm going to die and go to hell. Aren't you glad that's not true? Because I don't know about y'all, but I'm not that good. And I'm going to help you. Neither are you. None of us are that good. We all have bad thoughts, don't we? Yes, sir, we really do. Okay, let's check it. We all do and say things we should not do. And the Holy Spirit who lives within us from the moment of salvation convicts us of sin and draws us to repentance. Not to get born again again because once you've been born from above, you've been born from above. And once you become his child, you no longer cannot be not his child. So because of that, we have the wonderful joy of serving Jesus, of knowing that we don't have to be perfect because it's not based on our ability to hold on to him. It's him who's got a hold of us. It's not my grip, it's his grip. Praise God for that. So they're coming after us. What, to take away our salvation? No, can't do it. Mm-mm, uh-uh, he is mine and I am his forever. Can't take away my salvation, but what are they coming for? Why are they digging the pits? Why are they wanting you to stumble and fall? I want to tell you why. Because they want to get you to compromise your integrity and lose your influence for the gospel. They want you to stumble into sin, stumble into their pits, so that they can take away the influence that you would have that would point others to Calvary. Satan can't take away what Jesus did for me on the cross. He can't take away the day he saved my soul in the altar of Edwardsville Baptist Church. He can't take away that from me at all. But what he does try to do is he tries to get at me, nab at me, and poke and prod and dig pits to cause us to lose our influence. Oh, friends, hear me. Protect your influence. 
Guard your heart. Live with integrity. Why? Because the influence of the gospel is at stake. God help us. The psalmist cries out to the Lord about the activity of the proud and evil men because he says that basically what he's saying is this. These men know better. They evidently had knowledge of the law. But what did they do? They kept setting snares and traps for him. Read something this week's great advice. What do I need to do when the proud and prideful attack me or attack you and set pits for us and try to get us to stumble and fall and lose our influence? I read this week, when the prideful attack, just keep walking humbly with the Lord. Don't try to explain yourself. Don't try to defend yourself. Just keep walking humbly with the Lord. And then he talks about divine intervention in verse 86. <laughs> you notice verse 86, he's just saying, Lord, two words, help me, with a big exclamation point. means there's some feeling in that statement. Help me. John Phillips said this, he said, when a person is desperate, he does not take time to make a speech. <laughs> when a person is desperate, he lets you know what's really in his heart. So as persecution intensified, the psalmist plainly and pointedly shouts for help. Ladies and gentlemen, in our times of distress, we must do the same. If this building was on fire today, we would not sit in here and roast marshmallows. If this building was on fire, we'd be trying to get out. And once we got out, we'd be trying to help others get out. And we would try to get everybody out safely. Listen, the building is on fire today. People are in danger of burning eternally in hell. And they're crying for help. And the church must be there with a message of the gospel that will help them get to meet Jesus before it's everlasting too late. Divine intervention. Then I want you to notice the last part, verse 87, verse 88 talks about some courage to continue listen he had constant calamity he made a cry for comfort but he demonstrates courage to continue now stay with me look verse 87 this is close to my heart he said they almost made an end of me on the earth but I did not forsake your precepts two things about this courage to continue the first thing was he had inward devastation Inwardly, he is broken. Inwardly, he realizes his inadequacies, his insufficiencies. He realizes he has no hope apart from Jesus. His enemies are coming. They keep coming. And you know what he's saying? They got real close to finishing me off. You ever felt like that? I can recount several times and documented in my journals from years back times when I felt like I'm making a difference I'm no good at this there's plenty of people to confirm that I just need to I need to go do something else I've really made a mess and there were times that those who dug pits you know one of the biggest pits people have dug for me over the years is the pit of discouragement Big time. Now, I've always tried to be an encourager. I really have. I've always wanted to be an exhorter. I've always wanted you to know that the glass is half full, it's not half empty. I've always wanted you to know that the sun's coming up tomorrow and there's hope. I've always wanted you to know that there's always a purpose. If you feel a heartbeat, you've got purpose. I've always wanted, but there are times, even in the midst of all that, the enemies would dig a pit out there. You know what? I have fallen in that pit a bunch of times. 
Anybody else ever fall into it? You don't have to testify at church. You can you just in your heart. You know what? I, I, I bet some of you fall in that same pit. When you're like, that's not true. And you couldn't defend it. And you go falling in that pit. But listen, there are two key words in this verse that really speak to our heart. And those two key words are these words. The words almost and but. He said, they almost done me in, but. They almost got me to quit, but. They almost finished me off, but. Oh, I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, we can get knocked down. But we don't have to be knocked out. We can experience setbacks, but we have to look for God as he positions us for the comeback. Even though the pits are there, we don't have to fall in them. But even when we do, thanks be to God, there is help, hope, and healing in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you noticed. I didn't mention it earlier. I did in the first service. But um, we got some new state champions in town today. Did y'all know that? Yeah. That's awesome. State champion wrestler. And I thought about that this weekend. 35 years ago, this past November, I went to my very first wrestling practice on the very first wrestling team Cleveland County ever had. It was a ragtag bunch. I hope we got some pictures somewhere. We didn't have no uniforms. Didn't have a mat. Didn't have any... Nothing. No headgear, no shoes. Had to learn about all that. Had just a little piece of an old PE mat that we practiced on. I'm sure it didn't meet the codes. You probably have somebody's mama up there now measuring it. I don't know. Back then, they had to do the best you can. I don't know. And I can remember how we talked over lunch the day before the first practice. Everybody's like, you wrestling, man? Yeah, man, I'm wrestling. Who you going to be? Dusty Rhodes? You got your elbow pads? You know, I, I remember it. We, we really thought when we got wrestling practice, there was going to be this ring like we saw on Saturday morning on Georgia Championship Wrestling. Well, we were really disappointed, Marty. We got there, you know, no turnbuckles, nothing to jump off of. I knew I wasn't going to be the high-flying act anyhow. But I can remember we started with real humble beginnings well, just a little piece of a man 35 years ago. Coach Gary Harper always be very special to me for many reasons. I traveled a lot of miles in that wrestling bus and up down. I'm telling you, all at 4 o'clock on Saturday morning, getting on a bus, going to Timbuk 14. I mean, and we go up these, I mean, places to wrestle in these tournaments. It looked like old gym Hoosiers, you know, never able, didn't have a home match for several years because we didn't have a man. And I remember we just kept going and kept believing, kept trying. You know, and I'll be the first to tell you, I, I'm not one of these guys that gets up, you know, and boys, listen, you do this, your daddies will do this. The older they get, the better they were. Just trust me. I'm not one of those guys. I'll tell you, I was clumsy. I had two left feet. I wasn't fast. I didn't have any of that. But I did have this one thing going for me is I was determined to get my very best effort so I keep doing it and, and I wasn't really great qualified for state a couple of times finished third and sixth was a couple of times but nothing, nothing to write home about nothing to brag about or nothing else just just glad to be a teammate and here's something I remember as those guys won that championship this weekend I thought man 35 years ago we started with nothing look what God has brought from it you know and you can say what you want but I thought about something that really drove me and it's drove me in ministry because one thing that sport taught me was is you got to motivate yourself. You can't wait on anybody else. And two, you got to refuse to quit. And I can remember, if you've ever, wrestling practice made football practice look like a walk in the park. 
If you go to wrestling practice, they go over and shut the door and they lock you in. And they turn the heat on wide open. Now, a lot of the people were trying to lose weight to get to lower weight classes, but I was in a weight class where I needed to gain a few pounds in order to meet the, the I needed to gain weight. And my teammates would get so mad because we'd be on the bus, they'd be spitting and riding the exercise bike with those silver suits, and then they will trying to get lose weight on the bus on the way to the tournament, and I'd be in the back with a sack full of Jack Biscuits, you know, I'd just trying to gain weight. They'd be like, why do you get there? Because I'm, I, now, but now, now, I would make the class without any trouble. But in those days, I needed some help. But I remember to get to the end of practice. In wrestling practice, you always like the end. But what was it he think the end called closeouts? You say, well, well, it was a one-minute drill. And for the first 15 seconds, you pumped your feet in place. Just why don't you go with your wrestling shoes? Coach would blow the whistle, 15 seconds of push-ups. Blow the whistle again, 15 seconds of sit-ups. Blow the whistle again, 15 seconds of sit-out switches. If you wrestle, you know what that is. Just constantly move and wrestle. So that was one, one minute. And we only did about 60 of those. <laughs> I was in the greatest shape of my life. I tell my girls I got to run from here to Birmingham in those days. And now, get to the carport. That's good enough. But you know what really motivated me a lot? They'd be doing those closeouts. And I really think for the church, we're doing closeouts right now. We're all, the Lord is coming for his church. I really believe. We're doing closeouts right now. But when I'd get tired, I'd look to my right and I'd see my teammate giving all he had. And I'd look to my left, I'd see another teammate giving all you know, there was a couple of guys that tried to get in the back of the room over in the corner where coach couldn't see them sometimes, and they, they'd sandbag a little bit. I didn't look at them. But I look at my teammates giving all ahead. You know what it encouraged me to do? Give it all I got. And to never quit. Never give up. That's a lot of years down the road. And the other day I spent some time with one of my teammates talking to him about some things. You know how we talked about? You know what I was able to tell him? I said, you know what? You encouraged me to never quit. God used you. And you know what? In my life now, I learned so many lessons from that sport that still affect my decision making today. That when I want to take the old towel and throw it in, I can't. You know, I, I told Mark Vice this morning, he showed me a picture, our buddy Ian, pinning this guy. It's a beautiful sight. A year ago, we wasn't sure if Ian was going to walk again. Football season, he kicked extra points. Friday night, he helped his team win a state championship. I said, Mark, you know, there's no feeling for a wrestler than when you're on top and you're looking at the ref and he slaps the man. There's a lot of times the devil's tried to get me down there. But there's coming a point when God is coming for his church and that's going to be the moment that he slaps a man. We're going home. There's no feeling like it. Let me leave you with this and I'm done. J. Robert Clifton, Fuller Theological Seminary, he did some research. And I want this to help you. 
His research discovered that there are about a thousand men and women in Scripture that are could be defined as leaders. A thousand. Of those thousand men and women that are defined as leaders in Scripture, we only have broad life accounts of 49 of those. 49 out of the thousand. But here's the thing. Of those 49, only 30% finished well. So wait, a thousand men and women are defined as leaders in Scripture. 49, we have long life to the end accounts of their life, and only 30% of them finish well. Some of them stumbled early in life. Others stumbled later in life. I hear some people say this, well, you know, I, I done made all my mistakes. I'm older now. I, just, I can't mess up anymore. Oh, yeah, you can. I've heard some folks say, well, you know, that's, I'm so young, uh, this, it'll be okay. There are things in your life, they'll follow you. 30% finish well. But here's what David Jeremiah said about that. I love it. Thank God for the 30%. Aren't you grateful for men like Daniel, men like Joseph, men like Joshua, men like Peter, men like Paul? He goes on to say this. He said, those men were enjoying walking with God and increasing intimacy throughout their days. He's saying, as the older they got, the closer they got to God. That's a good word. Don't str keep getting closer. He said, they simply kept growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord. They remained yielded to him in all things. They were like trees planted in the courtyard of the Lord, and they stayed fresh and green, bearing fruit, whatever their age said they never quit bearing fruit. They stayed faithful to the finish. I don't know about you, but I thank God for those that finish well. Let me tell you about the greatest finisher of all. Oh, his name's not Paul. It's not Peter. It's not even Daniel or Joshua or Nehemiah or Joseph. His name's Jesus. Of all the finishers, Jesus said it in John 4. Jesus said it in John 5. Here's what I've come to do. I've come to do the will of the Father and finish it. He said, I didn't come to start it and leave it with y'all like that half-used chapstick. He's saying, I came to see it to the finish. John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus on the cross. He said these words, it is finished. <laughs> finished. What was finished? His life? Oh no, he's alive and lives forevermore. You're in Revelation chapter one. What was finished? His, his, his ministry? Oh no, 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 no. He, the Bible says in Hebrews 7, 25 that he ever lives to make intercession for his children. You know what he's still doing according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1? He is still your advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So his life and ministry are not done. Here's what was finished. Is he had came and fulfilled the purpose for which he came to earth. And that was to be the once for all sacrifice for all sin. That was finished. He did not come to destroy the law, but he fulfilled the law. And you know what he's going to say very soon? He's going to rise from his seat, seated by the Father. 
he's going to be able to say to the church, your time is finished. I don't know about you, but all I care to hear from the lips of our Lord when I rise to meet him in the air is the words, well done. I don't know about you, but that's what drives me. That's what motivates me. That's what moves me is that I could hear him say, well done. You know what? Have I fumbled the ball? Oh, sure, many times. Have I fell into some of those pits? Oh, I'm sure, many times. But do you know what I found him to be, whether it was on flat ground, whether it was on the pit, whether it was in the valley or on the mountain, I have found him to be faithful. And I want to say to you today that no matter how long the struggle continues, because keep this in mind, if our present struggle with pandemic ended today, based on the word of God, there'd be another one on the way. Now, it may not be the same, may not be the same magnitude, may not be the same length of time. I don't know, but what I will tell you this is, the struggles will continue. And you need to be committed to be faithful to the finish. Your greatest example is Jesus Christ. And you can always trust him to be faithful. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for the truth of your word today. I want to thank you for the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus to finish and complete the work for which you sent him. I want to thank you that he is now seated at your right hand where he is making intercession for his children and where he is soon to return to take us to be with you forever. Thank you, Father, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And thank you for giving us this opportunity to stand before your people with your word and share your truth. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, guys, just a couple of things before we dismiss today. If you would, remove this section each week, if you would, and I want you to use it for several reasons. Of course, prayer requests, praise reports. We take those directly from the offering buckets and we take them to the war room and we put those on the war room wall for prayer requests or praise reports, answered prayers. Any questions about ministry, any questions about decisions you need to make, about salvation, rededication, church membership, whatever it might be, please note that on your card. If you want to talk about that after the service, I always stay and last to leave, and I don't, uh, I, I want to be here to help you anything you need. But if you're not comfortable with that and you just want to leave us some information to contact you later, please feel free to leave that in the offering buckets at either door on your way out. Continue to be faithful if you're watching online. If you need to reach out to us in any way, spiritual needs, whatever it might be, please send us an email, send us inbox through the social media accounts, whatever, and we'll be happy to return your request just as soon as possible. So always know that you can stay connected to us. Don't feel disconnected, even though we're still going through a difficult time. We know that God is faithful. You matter to God. 
you matter to us, okay? Don't forget Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, children, student, and youth, and, and adults, everybody together, 6 o'clock. Don't forget the sign-up sheets for children's ministry and for basketball concessions, whichever you would like to help with, okay? Let's stand together, and don't forget, God loves you. Hey, church, I love you.